0: And welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of Going for Two. It's the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am your host, the publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown, Uh, coming at you today from a slightly different location. I'm I'm, uh, reaching out here from Louisville. I'm in in town here for a couple of meetings with uh, the new owner of Extra Points that we've merged with the the D1 ticker uh, Extended Universe. I'm excited to share some more information about that later this year. I am joined, as always, by my uh, my
1: colleague and co-host, Brian Fisher. How are you holding up, man? I'm doing good. I'm glad to, glad to see you back in the, the new home office now. I guess it, it, it's it's weird to say that a little bit, but uh, it, you know, part of, of a growing empire.
0: It's true. You know who we are? We are Ohio River coastal elites, and, uh, and I love it. It's, it's honestly like it has been it was really energizing to be like actually in an, in an office in a newsroom for the first time in honestly years. And it's kind of energizing to be in that place and not be in your basement when news actually breaks. Um, so what I wanted to kind of lead the show with you, I, I recognize that this might be a little bit more my universe than yours. But this broke just a couple of minutes ago, <laughs> honestly, um, some conference realignment news that was not on my radar But it just goes to show you that not everything is necessarily directly tied to Texas and Oklahoma. This is hot off the presses here. The Atlantic 10 has now announced uh, in in, a very Big Ten-like energy that they're going to now have 15 teams. Uh, They have just added Loyola Chicago In, in my neck of the woods in Chicago Uh, Loyola is expected to join the league starting next season. They are leaving the Missouri Valley conference. Um, And uh, Matt Norlander, a friend of the show here at CBS reports that the Missouri Valley is looking at multiple institutions as expansion candidates. While a couple of those are familiar to extra points, readers and listeners to this podcast, Uh, Texas Arlington uh, currently of the Sunbelt, but very much not of the Sunbelt for long Uh, Murray state, of the Ohio Valley Conference, long-time uh, uh, aspirant to joining this league, someone that's been tied to this league for a long time, uh, and Kansas City, a school that uh, you typically don't talk about a whole lot when it comes to Division I basketball. But uh, Brian, I, I think I think you saw them pop up in the box scores there last night. They did something pretty impressive.
1: Yes, I, I believe they blew up Missouri in, in uh, another case of SEC basketball fever. But uh, you know, <laughs> the, the funny thing, you know, you mentioned that the news breaking, and I'm just shocked not only that that it, that it happened, uh, you know, this week, but that it's it's happening next year for the, for this move. You know, usually we see these kind of conference realignment moves happen, and it's two or three years down the road, and there's always that kind of awkwardness between schools and and leagues. But this is this is happening now, and you know, give credit to uh, Bernadette McGlade, the the 18 commissioner. I mean, this was as stealthy a move we we all. Always referred to uh, John Swafford back in the day as, as Ninja Swaff. This was uh, this is quite the move out of out of uh, a bit of left field uh, or or off the court, and it's happening quickly. Uh, so kudos to the A10 for grabbing not only a name brand in terms of the the basketball end of things, but uh, moving quickly to get them into the league
0: very very quickly. And, and you're right, like I. I mean, I'm listen. I'm not Brett McMurphy, right? I'm not the most the most plugged in person here in the world, but i I have been tracking mid and low major realignment here for a minute, and I heard nothing about Loyola looking at the A10. Apparently, that's been something that they've been kicking this idea around here for months, um, even well before Belmont was added to the Missouri Valley. So, the the, the other interesting tidbit I, I think that's worth pointing out here is that, according to Matt Norlander's reporting. The A-10 right now feels pretty confident that they're going to keep everybody. Um, the Big East had indicated a couple of weeks ago, which I know feels like a couple of years ago, uh, because time has no meaning anymore, that they were going to think about expanding. And if you're a, a conference like the Big East, where almost everybody is a, is a basketball-centric Catholic school, uh, mostly located in the, in the Midwest or Northeast, well, if you're going to go poach somebody that fits that profile, it would be an A-10 institution. Uh, perhaps a St. Louis or a Dayton or, or, or somebody in that vein, but but as of right now, they seem to believe, according to Norlander, that they're going to keep everybody. Uh, I texted a couple other people within the industry; they're like, you know, we'll see, but uh, you know, maybe some of those teams join the Big East, maybe they don't. But <laughs> but as far as we can tell right now, nobody else is expected to leave. You know, a struggling team like Lasalle or Fordham is not going anywhere, despite what you might uh, occasionally see on message boards. So that's a very big basketball league. And what should be pretty good basketball league. was certainly a multi bid basketball league. If just, I mean, it already is now, but that that should be even even further cemented if Loyola is able to be eighty percent of what it's been over the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the Big East expansion. They're kind of at the end of, of kind of that, that realignment wave of, of new uh, conferences in terms of their TV deals as well. And so I know that they kind of put that out there in the ether, but uh, that, that's something that maybe is on the back burner for everybody. I think the Big East can revisit it, you know, certainly when they are renegotiating those TV contracts and getting a little bit more of a, a, a bit better sense in terms of what their value is in the market. So I think the Big East, although the A10 does, does seem confident in, in keeping everybody together, I, I still think that's something that we, we can revisit. But, uh, you know, this is this is an interesting move, too, because it's just fit. You know, we've talked about it on this podcast yeah. before in terms of fit. I mean, even you go into the release that uh, Loyola sent out, I mean, they, they specifically called out the fact that they're joining other fellow Jesuit institutions like Fordham, like St. Joe, uh, St Louis. Um, you know, and, and I think that is an important thing nowadays, especially beyond kind of those big time FBS conferences. I think having that fit when you go into conference meetings, especially among the presidents and the ADs, um, you know, I, I think that, that means a lot, and I think it was a driving factor in this case, not just uh, playing in a, in a better basketball league and, and kind of um, ensuring that uh, you have those extra units uh, at the end of the day if, if Loyola uh, performs like we've se- historically seen them, but uh, this is, I think, a move not only based on convenience but and, and fit, but also uh, you know what, what uh, Loyola can do on, on the basketball court and, and add to a already very good league uh, on the court.
0: Yeah, and, and, and a growing institution, right? Like Loyola is not a small school uh, in, in Chicago. It's five-figure enrollment. You have you know l- uh, large campus presences in multiple places within the city, not just way up in Rogers Park, but a significant campus presence. Downtown, uh, both for graduate and undergraduate students, it is a school where people who are from and live in Chicago go to. It's not that's uh, not necessarily the place that's attracting people from all over out of state. So, if you wanted to be, uh, you know, have have a, a more of a presence in that in that market, that's a, that's a good institution to grab. Um, it's it's certainly a big loss for the Missouri Valley, but I don't think necessarily debilitating. One, it's not like Loyola had been in that league for that long, or that anybody was expecting they were adding a a Final Four participant when they ended up joining the league. And I think that you see uh, some seeds or some similarities, I guess, to the rationale for bringing in Loyola in the first place. And this this is this is something that I've reported on here now for a couple of months. If you the private schools in the Missouri Valley, I can tell you are really pushing for the league to continue to expand into large urban markets, even if those teams are not necessarily really good at basketball. Kansas City beating the ever-living shit out of Missouri last night, notwithstanding, uh, this is, the, the Ruse are not typically who you think of as like a high-level, mid-major basketball program, whether that's facilities or history or tradition or any of those things. I, I have heard of them not just because of the win uh, last night, but also because they briefly employed a basketball coach named Matt Brown. And I, I, I remember early in my Twitter career being very confused when I would see people screaming about firing him. Um, but they're in a, a, a bigger city that's in what you might, you know, describe as, as the footprint there. And, the, and if you're in Evansville, or uh, if you're a Bradley, you want to be in those areas because you want to recruit more students. And I think if you're going to add all three of these schools, that's a bit of a compromise because you're bringing in Murray that's got tradition. Um, that you know still needs to figure out what they're going to do with football, whether you become a Missouri Valley football member or you join some other league. But on the basketball court, we have a tradition that's almost as good as as Belmont's over the last decade or so. And uh, two schools that have some potential and help you check the boxes for being able to do some things that you want to do independent of, of sports, which is sometimes part of what drives realignment. So I think if you grab those three, I'll tell you another name to just keep in the back of your mind not that i uh, you know i, I don't think this, this their their candidacy is as likely as the other 3 but don't be completely shocked if illinois chicago also enters this conversation a school that fits a a similar profile in some ways to loyola and has a pretty nice arena and would allow the missouri valley to still have a presence within chicago the other 3 are more likely it's like don't be blown away if 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 uic ends up being in that conversation later at some point but um Surprising move, but it, 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 I think it's going to end up with still having, your know, two good basketball leagues are probably still going to remain two good basketball leagues.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, look at Murray State coming in, and that's a program that, let's face it, they've, they've gone through some coaching transitions at times, and, and they've still been able to produce, uh, you know, quite quite a talented roster and, and make yep. NCAA tournaments, and I think that's important when you're replacing a school uh, that has become synonymous with with March success like Loyola. So I, I don't know if there's not quite a like-for-like like, uh, replacement there, but I, I think they, they can be confident that they're at least getting a very solid program, one that's invested resources really in, in focusing on uh, putting a good product out there in the court. So that's important, and then you mentioned the the two March. Market drivers in terms of um, Arlington and Kansas City. Uh, certainly, by by no means uh, any any of those t- teams are really controlling those markets. But I think it's important to note that uh, it does allow you to kind of fly in and out easily between those two markets, which is always yeah. a, a good thing when you're trying to save on those travel costs, especially when you're when you're at this level. You're, you're frankly flying a lot of commercials, so being able to get into Dallas and, and fly in easy there or Kansas City, uh, I think that's important. You know, when, when you're talking about things, and um, you know Matt Norlander and his story, he mentioned uh, Mike Alden, and the the former Missouri AD uh, being a part of UMKC's push, um, you know, I, I'd heard that as well. And uh, you know, I think it's important to know that uh, there's there's always some some folks around the side, some consultants and whatnot that, uh, you know, can, can help you move these, move these things along in terms of those connections. And I think we're, we're seeing that a case uh, with, with this realignment at the FCS level, uh, these leagues, they, they just want to solidify themselves. I think, and frankly, it's coming after a uh, NCAA uh, constitutional convention where, where, what were a lot of those questions about on Monday, a lot of them were, you know, what was the revenue percentage? What, you know, is yep. that going to be insured? Uh, how are the units going to get distributed? That's still the cop, you know, the, the, those conversations about D one and and how the money really does get distributed uh, are, are still coming, uh, not only in, in January but I think uh, beyond that as well. And so I think it's how can we shore up our position uh, and you know as as a conference. And I think a lot of these moves are being made with an eye towards uh, the, the future in, in that respect.
0: That's I I think you are exactly right about that. There is our paid extra point subscribers would have. Uh, Tuesday's newsletter, which was all about that constitutional convention. I don't want to belabor it too much right now because it was a very long Zoom meeting. <laughs> but that you're right, the stage has been set for these conversations in December, particularly in January, March, April, as we get into what the Division One Constitution is going to look like and those Division One specific bylaws. A lot of that's going to be about money, and a lot of that's going to be about what it means to be a conference. And you want to be in as stable and secure and strong a position now as you can because nothing is guaranteed. Um, for Q1, two, three of, of next year or, 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 beyond. I can tell you I, I, my goal is to be able to write a little bit more about this at the end of the week. It's probably also going to be paywalled uh, for extra points readers, but I could tell you there's a couple other FCS slash mid and low major moves. likely I, I think the FBS realignment chairs are mostly done being rearranged for like the next six weeks, at least. I don't think Conference USA is going to make a big move next week or anything, but keep an eye on the Summit League who, uh, should Kansas City depart, um, will be at nine schools and is at risk of losing Western Illinois to the Ohio Valley. Um, Augustana at the Division II level very badly wants to be in Division I. They've tried to get in this league before. That would be an institution that I think is worth paying attention to. It's worth seeing uh, if, if they make any other moves uh, along their footprint because the, the this is a conference that's had to change its configuration a couple of times. And pay close attention to the Ohio Valley, which is now, assuming Murray State leaves and brings their football team somewhere else, it will be without an FCS football auto bid and is in a, a much less stable place. I'm going to have some more information about them, some of the conversations they've been having later this week on extra points. That's a lot. Right. Like that's, that's 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 a lot of changes. Some of that wasn't even expected. And, you know, I, we think we kind of know what's coming here over the next week and a half or so. But, you know, there, there may be a couple of other uh, fastballs, you know, this or uh, you know better, better than most people I talk to. This is also definitely happening at the coaching level, too. We had, uh, I think, a couple of maybe somewhat surprising changes I, I, as I was going to the airport this morning. Like first thing I saw that Justin Fuente was let go at Virginia Tech. I don't know about you. That was something I had kind of expected to not happen until December, given that his buyout was about to drop by two and a half million dollars. But I guess if you're an athletic director trying to to figure out your roster management and preserve something of a recruiting class with an early signing period, maybe that's worth burning an extra two and a half million dollars to get somebody potentially in the door two or three weeks earlier, right?
1: I, I think that is, and, and I'm actually going to write this uh, for, for next week on, on Monday on, on Athlon Sports. Is just how how this coaching carousel is is very unique, and in, in terms of the the ads kind of going out there and and making it a point to hire early, fire early, and and make the cycle almost spin a little bit faster than it normally has. And, you know, uh, you go back a couple, just a couple of years, really, even um, not only just uh, before the early signing period, but uh, just a couple of years. I mean, most of the coaching business, not necessarily the firing part, but certainly the high hiring part was really compacted into basically that week, you know, right after, uh, the championship games and into, uh, kind of that, that Heisman trophy and, and the award yeah. ceremonies, uh, that, that kind of weekend in, in December was essentially where everything happened. And a lot of it happened in New York at the uh, National Football Foundation dinner. You know, a lot of coaches would come in for that. Uh, they, w- they would go upstairs and interview with ADs and and uh, the business would kind of get done there. But that, that is no longer the case. You know, you, you've got to be moving quickly. You've got to have you know, a bit of your ear to the ground. And I think it's been been fascinating. We've seen, um, you know, I mean Clay Hilton got fired in, you know early in the process before the, the first month of the season w- was even up. And now he's, he's hired before uh, Thanksgiving. I mean, th- that is just wild to think. And, you know, frankly, you know, Georgia Southern kind of at a point saying you know what it's it's great he can come in he can evaluate the roster while players are still on there he can evaluate some of the coaches and coaching staff there obviously develop that relationship with recruits have an eye a, a bit to the, towards the portal as well so it's it, just a new kind of era and i think we're starting to see that i think justin fuente um far from going to be the only power five coach uh, certainly in, in the cycle to, to kind of get that early buyout uh things have obviously been trending that way in blacksburg for a while and i think it just kind of just came down to essentially him and and uh Whit Babcock agreeing on a number. Um, to kind of mitigate, yeah. uh, you know, his, his buyout was set to go down in December that uh, they came at, I, I believe it was eight and a half million dollars um, that they're going to end up paying him on, on the buyout. It was was going to be 10 and, and essentially this allows to kind of both parties to kind of move on from a situation that I think everybody understood was was going to be ending at some point soon. So it, it's just fascinating because this is, this is kind of a, a, a really good test case in terms of uh, Virginia Tech, not the only school in the market, not the only one with, that might have coaching overlap with some of these other openings. And uh, here you, you see the, the early move. And I think that that is going to be a an interesting thing to find out. Is, is this a blip in the radar, uh, this early hiring firing thing? Or is it going to be more of a trend as we go through uh, the next couple of years?
0: I, I will say this very quickly about Mr. Fuente. It may be a benefit for him to get this taken care of earlier because there are uh, G5 head coaching positions that could open where he would be a great fit. And in fact, may already have talked to people uh, potentially uh, about some of those. I would not be surprised at all if he is still a head coach heading into next season, although I do not expect that to be at the power five level.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, you, you look at some of the openings, uh, obviously, he's from the state of Oklahoma, so I think Tulsa's obviously, that, that's been rumored, uh, given the contract situation with Philip Montgomery and, and, and the way the Golden Hurricanes are trending, that that is likely a group of five job that could come open. Uh, I think he would make a lot of sense there. He he did a terrific rebuilding job with not a whole lot of resources at Memphis. That really what yep. kind of elevated his star, uh, you know, SMU is, is potentially out there, given how many many openings North. are connected with Sonny Dykes' name, so um, North you know, Texas. it makes a lot of sense. North Texas uh, is, is another one that that uh, I think is... Uh uh, very much been rumored to to come up but uh to, to me it's, it's just a, a fascinating cycle and agents are busy coaching searches uh you know coaching firms are are, are definitely uh staying busy and uh, it, it's weird to have this all happening here uh before Thanksgiving because usually uh you know you, you get the nibbles here and there and, and you get the groundwork being laid for a lot of these moves but uh, now they're just happening and, and I think that's uh has caught a few people off guard but I think is is certainly a, a way that we are trending towards in the future but I'm excited to get into a lot of these other openings because uh, there, there are no shortage of them for us to discuss uh, discuss today, as we were uh, originally going to get into before uh, the, the the A10 and, and Missouri Valley decided to throw a wrench into those plans.
0: Yeah, so so I, I, it's entirely possible I've missed one, but as I'm sitting down here, I'm trying to count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. I think there's nine open positions right now, and I, I believe both of us expect at least three or four more to open due to firings and terminations before the end of the regular season. We actually are getting pretty close to the end. It's used to be, Mm -hmm. it it was not uncommon for people to get fired Thanksgiving weekend, you know, after the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the end of the regular season to have a kind of like a black Saturday or black Sunday Um, that might happen earlier right now. Uh, I want, I want to talk through a couple of these. Um, Let's talk about the great state of Washington. The um, Washington, actually, both of these opened up pretty unexpectedly, <laughs> albeit for, for two very different reasons uh, this cycle. I am very interested in what happens with the University of Washington uh, position here, because I, I don't know about you. Um, and I, I'm not somebody that, that tries to that cares a whole lot about winning a press conference and be able to predict what kind of coach is going to be successful, because I think that's above my pay grade. But I think this is a really good job. You can make the college football playoff at this job. There's probably only 15 gigs in the country where you can potentially recruit above a 50% blue chip ratio to put you in position for making the and and winning a playoff game and a four and a shortened playoff era. This is one of those programs. You've got a beautiful stadium. You've got history. You've got fan support. The state of Washington at the high end produces pretty good football players. They had three five-star kids last cycle and they, you know, it, it, no one's going to confuse it with Los Angeles, but the uh, the Western half of the state produces pretty good football players, particularly quarterbacks and wide receivers. So I, I look at this and think, I you know, th- 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 you, you nailed this higher, right? This is a job where you should win nine games. And that hasn't really been the case for this school here for uh, much of my lifetime, but – uh, it's easier for me to be more interested or excited about what they do, I think, than maybe TCU or Washington state, you know
1: well it is it is a, it is a fascinating opening, mostly because you know it, it seems like the the spiral that, that has happened uh, under Jimmy Lake and, and the reason that we're at this point is is so fascinating, and I think is truthfully gonna color this opening a, a bit. Um, you know, I think that the, the quick ending there, um, you know, you, you got a lot of coaches that I know would, would be curious in terms of what the administration support is going to be, you know, are are they going to be able to get a high enough buyout to, to dissuade things? Because um, you know, that was a quick hook for, for Jimmy Lake. Now there's no denying that uh, a lot of that was of his own making and, and things did spiral out quickly uh, because of, of his actions. You know, he, he made the wrong offensive coordinator hire. Um, you know, I, I think it was a little bit too big of a job for him. I think initially, and, and we kind of saw that with some of his comments uh, recently. And then uh, you, you see the missteps yep. uh, not only off on and off the field but um you know it, it was a quick hook and sometimes that can make coaches a little bit nervous but they also understand that hey this is this is a great opening um you know the, the facilities are all there i, I mean they're terrific I, I know anybody that's gone up and, and visited in seattle uh you know they, they are really enjoying uh, and, and, you know just being able to really you know you can boat to work uh, i know some of the past coaches i think last I, I don't think chris peterson did but i know a couple of the <laughs> most recent uh, huskies coaches have been able to uh, to, to take their boat out on the water and it's it's always a cool thing with with recruits especially in the summertime uh to you know or, or early fall where you can take those recruits out to, on on your boat and go out on the lake and and uh drive right up to the stadium it's it's just a phenomenal setting um you know when there's a big game there i mean i remember the old husky stadium where you used to be able you are in the press box and you used to sway you know up and down and uh, you know they've since fixed it uh with with the new place but a uh, tremendously loud place great fan support and you know we we've mentioned NIL uh, opportunities the last couple of. Uh, Podcast as well. I mean, Seattle, major market. Uh, you, you have a lot of big time companies that are that are there. A lot of growing so companies much too. Much
0: money. So much. There more. are some rich people who are still very invested in Washington Athletics and the University of Washington. Um, and if you're, if you just, if you're able to carve off a little bit of that tech money, um, that could be a place where, yeah, the resources are not the issue. I think for why no, that absolutely. program has not been successful.
1: And look at, too, and you look at uh, the, the Kraken and how they have started up, uh, you know, in terms of uh, just the, the amount of support they've had locally uh, and, and and how that project has kind of gotten off, uh, off to a really good start in terms of bringing hockey. You know, I think there's obviously been quite a bit of rumors about, about uh, the basketball team coming back. So Seattle, hot market, exciting job. I think this is a, a big time opportunity. And, you know, you mentioned the talent base. You can go into California. Um, you know, I, I think there is obviously a, a bit of uh, an issue with the, the rival down the road with Oregon and, uh, you know, combating them. But I think this is a team, obviously, that uh, won the Pac-12 North, uh, you know, last year. And obviously, there were a lot of COVID issues uh, contributing to that. But yeah, um, I, I don't think that the gap necessarily is is there. I think the Pac-12 is is very winnable. That especially the, the gap from the top to kind of the mid tier is certainly yeah. not, uh, you know, what it is in, in other leagues. I think that's why USC is an attractive opening. So uh, I, I think there, there's going to be quite a bit of interest in this one. And you know, you're already starting to see some of the, the names that uh, are, are connected with this job. I know Kalani Sataki at BYU. uh, would would make a ton of sense um, especially given the connections with the Polynesian heritage that uh, Washington has had over the years um, that that makes a ton of sense I think you're going to have you know this be a quite attractive opening and uh, you know Jen Cohen the AD there has uh, you know already kind of laid the groundwork in terms of what she wants I would imagine they are going to go with somebody more of an offensive mind Uh, I wouldn't rule anything out in terms of uh, defensive guys but um, I think this is going to be a big time hire for not just Washington but uh, really a tone setter for the rest of the Pac-12 I think that kind of sitting back uh, in, in terms of that bigger picture, from thirty thousand foot, this you have USC open. You have really the, a, a massive openings out west. Uh, ASU could come open. Uh, obviously, Washington State's already open. Um, this is a very critical time for the Pac-12, and they have to have these coaching hires nailed down. If you're George Kliavkoff, the new commissioner, you want Washington to have a home run hire ready to go. You want USC to have a great hire because you know what? If those programs are doing well, it means a lot because those the the conference itself is going to go into media. And it'll soon. So if you have Washington flying high, if you have Oregon uh, continuing to be a college football playoff, continue, if you can have USC getting back to being USC, um, that's going to be huge. And I think it uh, does put a lot of pressure on schools like the Huskies to to nail this higher.
0: Yeah. When we're talking about the strength of the Pac-12, no disrespect to our friends in, in the Bay Area, but nobody cares if that, if Cal is going eight and four, or if you're able to say, well, actually the median team in the Pac-12 is far above that of the ACC or the Big 12. Nobody, nobody cares. We're talking about the strength of the league. It's is Oregon good? Is USC good? Is Washington good? Is UCLA good? Who is who is competing in the top 20? Who is 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 beating big time teams out of conference? Who are your flagships? And no disrespect to Utah, who has built an excellent football program. Very well could win could go to the Rose Bowl this season. Um has improved their recruiting and their talent level. If that is routinely the best team in your league, probably you've screwed up. And that's what's happened with with uh, with, with, with the Pac twelve here. Um, on the Kalani front, like I've had a couple of agents tell me that like that interest and, and him being a target is is real. Um, I don't know if he's going to do it. I, I, I can tell you guys if it's about money, there he has no there's no BYU is not going to match it. BYU is not going to pay four and a half million dollars for a coach.
1: Well, he, he's in such yeah. a unique situation with with BYU. Obviously, he's an alum. Uh, you know, there's the school ties, the the church ties that that make that just such a unique position. Now, I think yeah. BYU would have um, you know a candidate on staff they could easily turn to and, and promote with within. The, I think the Cougars would be fine no matter what happens. But uh, you know, I, I think for, I don't. <laughs> I, I think they would they would. You know, they might do a national search, but I think Aaron Roderick is, is is ready for that job. He's done a terrific job calling the offense the last couple of years uh, since Jeff Grimes. Part of the, the issue that I think BYU would would um, would, would want to retain Kalani, especially moving to the Big Twelve. But um, you know, for. for yeah, I think it would make sense for Washington if he because he would be a guy that could come in there. He'd obviously, do great. Has, has done a great job in terms of establishing that great culture, you know, around BYU. Um, you know, being that, that's really what Washington has lacked these last uh, two years. You know, under Jimmy Lake, that's uh, I think led to a lot of fractures, you know, throughout the program. And uh, I, I think he's he's definitely one of the, the top tier candidates that uh, they're going to explore. And uh, the question in, in my mind is just does it make sense for, for him and, and his family situation? Um, yep. you know, because it, it's difficult to to leave a job that not only your alma mater. And, and a place you've made connections, you've built up, um, you know, and, and guided from independence to the Big Twelve. But um, you know, he, he's got a lot of ties, you know, around the program. Um, obviously, you grew up there, so it it it, it can be a little bit different uh, in terms of that making that leap um, out of, out of Provo. But I think it adds to the intrigue um, in terms of these positions because. Washington comes open. Well, that could lead to another opening down the road. And we've already seen USC. We've seen LSU. Those are going to lead to more dominoes. And I think this could could definitely be one of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, if I was USC, I would call him and and, and, and at least talk about it. So I, I I think he would be somebody who would be successful in a higher profile job. Um, he is a, a dynamic personality. He's, he's, I think, recruited about as well as you could possibly expect, given the very uh, challenging constraints about recruiting at at BYU, and, and and everything you're talking about here is right. Like it, it is, I, I feel like I could speak, you know, more comfortably to this, right? Like it is, it is a a a unique place for a lot of for a lot of people, and the church knows that and kind of prices that in a little bit for not just athletic department employees, but employees generally. If you are a Latter Day Saint academic. And you're near the top of your field. You are probably not going to get your highest salary offer from BYU, and and part of that and and the, the, part of that is and this is not pejorative or 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 I'm not making a value judgment one way or another. Enough people really want to be there. They really want to be in the cultural capital of Mormondom, and they, they want to be at the 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 this, this really important institution that they're willing to take a home team discount, and that's not uh, not discouraged. So if it's about money. Um, I, I would I would just be completely blown away if BYU says, hey, listen, you know, we tapped the Mitt Romney vaults. Here's $5 million. Even like ideologically, I don't think that would happen. I, I would imagine, you know, look, they gave this guy an extension when he was struggling. When it looked like he, they, you know, at, at, at another program, he probably would have been let go or would have faced a lot more pressure after BYU went four and nine, not that long ago. It, it took a while. For this offense to get going, and they said this is our guy. That that means something. BYU, for not having big money, has I think really established themselves as a national leading program for name, image, and likeness. And I, I think that that stands for that, that counts for something here, right? Um, I would imagine if they keep him, BYU is going to have to open the wallet more for their assistant salary pool. And that, that has been a, an issue, and it's going to become a much bigger issue as they move into the Big 12 and are benchmarking themselves against programs that have much larger budgets. You're going to have to pay your coordinators over $600,000 if you want to attract quality people, especially if you want to attract people that aren't Latter-day Saints. Because um, as unique and as special and as great of an attraction BYU can be for somebody who wants to live in Provo and and, and fuels that tide that institution, uh, it's not for everybody. It wasn't for me and I'm an active Latter-day Saint, right? Like it's, it's, it's a, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't for the Mendenhalls. Like it adds different kinds of pressures. If it's about money and you're a BYU fan, like, look, you should, you should just get ready for the Aaron Roderick era or or the Jay Hill era. That's the other kind of tricky thing about this, right? Is you gotta be an L, you gotta be LDS. If you're going to be a a head coach at BYU. And there's not that many other Mormon coaches who can can step into that role.
1: I mean, I think Aaron would, would be the obviously internal candidate that, that would uh, yeah. get a lot of play. Um, you know, he, he is LDS. He's, he's an alum of BYU. I think obviously the way he's been able to develop quarterbacks and, and get that offense clicking uh, the last couple of years is, is going to be a big plus in, in his mind. And, and especially because uh, you know, the offense that he brings to the table is, is, is frankly quite different from probably the other top tier candidate that they could go out and get in Ken Niamatolo, who was, uh, you know, he was in the mix, you know, very, very publicly in the mix uh, mm-hmm. for the last time BYU came open. So, uh, um, Um, You know you kind of understand especially with the things that the way things have gone at Navy the last say six months, uh, you know, in, in, particular, um, you know, does that kind of cause, uh, coach, coach Ken to, to look around a little bit further at uh, openings like this? You know, maybe it does. And I think that would, there would be some interest and vice versa, but, uh, that job is not open yet. So I think, th- no. I do f- feel like we are getting just a little bit ahead. head. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I, I, well, even though, I know so even though
1: it is one of the more, I mean, we, we talk about uniqueness uh, in terms of these colleges. I mean, it truly is one of the more unique, uh, head coaching openings, just given the connection with the school, given the connection with the church, um, you know, it's just different from from anything really out there.
0: Yeah, Th- there's one other job that is open right now that I feel like I could go into 20 minute rabbit hole because uh, I'm super interested in it. But because I've monopolized this conversation, is there is there a gig right now that's open at at this moment that you're like, I, I, I want to I, I want to dig and spend 10 minutes talking about this one and, and where it could go?
1: why well, and maybe in, maybe the one in my backyard. I, I do feel like they're they're obviously the the two ones that uh everybody's going to go to usc and lsu because they're never heard really of kind them. of kind, kind of going in some <laughs> pool of candidates right yeah uh you know but I, I think they they're each very unique um you know i think and in, in unique searches too given the two ad's involved in this one um you know we, we very know scott, different we all know scott woodward uh, at lsu is, is a big game hunter and, and i don't i don't doubt that he, he has been looking at uh, top tier candidates um you know certainly we have even this week, we've we got Jimbo Fisher, another denial on the record uh, between him and uh, even Texas A&M's AD, you know, Ross Bjork coming out uh, again and, and underscoring that Jimbo is not leaving for LSU. So if that door is, is truly closed and truly shut off, uh, those two teams will, will play each other at the end of the year, which will make for a bit of awkwardness. But. Yeah. Real
0: quick on that note, I'm not saying anything here. I'm just saying, listen to the Jimbo Fisher denial, which you might have to kind of, you know, play at half speed because that's just how Jimbo talks. <laughs> But compare that to the Lincoln Riley denial at Oklahoma and notice the differences. And I'm, I'm not saying that Lincoln Riley is going to go. I'm, I'm just saying those were two very different denials. And that gives you an idea of maybe the kind, the kind of people that the LSU is going to at least talk to.
1: Well, I, you know, mentioned yeah. Lincoln. Well, Lincoln is, I, I think, more so than than just this LSU opening. I think the NFL is going to continue to look at Lincoln Riley as well. That's going to be that keeps coming up. Um, you know, certainly was when uh, the Cowboys opening uh, the Browns came open a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, his name has come up quite a bit in NFL circles, and it, it wouldn't be surprised if it does again. Uh, you know, this this carousel, especially given the number of openings at the pro level that, that we could end up seeing. We we already have uh, a big one uh, in, in Las Vegas, but uh, I, I think he's he's comfortable in the situation. I think he does love, truly love Oklahoma. He, he likes working for, you know, the administration there. I, I think there just is a, a new unknown, you know, with with the S- move to the SEC and, you know, what that, that's going to bring about. I think they're very comfortable in, in how he's running the program and and what he's able to accomplish there. But uh, it is a new unknown and coaches hate uh, that kind of uncertainty. So I think that is, uh, you know, something to maybe file in, in, the, in the back of your mind. But, um, you know, LSU is, is a, a unique opening. Mel Tucker has, has been mentioned quite a bit. Uh, in connection to that opening. I know, I know a lot of folks around Baton Rouge are, are real high on him, uh, especially given the connections to not only the SEC mm-hmm. at places like Georgia and Alabama. He, he knows the lay of the land, but he's turning in a terrific season at, at Michigan State. And and the last guy they hired from East Lansing, it worked out pretty well. So I think that uh, is another feather in his cap. Um, and, and USC, uh, the, the other one I mentioned as well. Such a fascinating search, you know, to, to me, um, because it came open so early, you had, had a lot of rumors kind of uh, leak out that I, I don't think were, were accurate. I think the school did a good job in terms of reaching out to a lot of their alumni, a lot of their NFL folks, um, you know, just to kind of get get a sense of, of what they think they, the program should go. And I think that led to a lot of things like the Mike Tomlin uh, deal happening with, with Carson Palmer. But uh, truthfully, this is a, a coaching search that I think has, has been played pretty close to the vest uh, with Mike Bone and his, his senior staff there. And I think it's, one of the more unique openings because they're they're prepared to pay um i think everything everybody understands that this is a a gig that is is a bit turnkey uh, you can come in you can win quite a quite a few games right away um that the talent level is there uh, i know they just uh, lost a a, a top tier recruit um but the fact that uh, a blue chip recruit was sticking with uh you know usc for Two months without a head coach, I think tells you a lot about the school and a lot about the program and, and what it can be. Uh, because this is a, a team that I think truly can contend for national titles on, on a regular basis. I think that it that should. all the all the building blocks are there for USC. Can they get that guy? And, and it's, it's difficult because, you know, you, you look at James Franklin, which was a name that was mentioned quite, quite early on in connection to USC. I think he would kill it at USC. He has that, the temperament. He has the, the, the attitude. He has really the, the charisma uh, to, to just kill it in Los Angeles and and at that gig. But uh, he's, he's sitting there at six and four and you kind of wonder is, is, is he kind of, kind of his team's performance taking his name out of the, out of the running there? Man, no,
0: absolutely. Nobody is happy with the James Franklin experience. Um, at State College, and I think even at some of these other places. But no, you're right. I, I I think you would you would do well too. USC. This is I think a, a, a different conversation for us to have probably later this off season. But what is so interesting to me about USC is everything you said there is exactly right. The, the geography, the history, the tradition, the money, um, the recruiting, all of that is there to be regularly in the championship conversation. And we've seen them do this in the seventies and at times in the two thousands and in earlier college football history. But, but unlike a lot of other blue bloods, USC is also prone to just taking like eight years off. Like everybody, but Ohio state faces a downturn eventually. And Ohio state in in the, in the, the, the late nineties, early two thousands was nothing super special, but, um USCs have been longer and that makes me you kind of wonder here when that continues across multiple coaches and ADs is there some is there some kind of rot in the floorboards here that isn't going to be solved by necessarily one guy i could think of a couple other programs like that that may potentially be looking at new hires too uh i mean texas isn't going to make a new hire but in case you in case you forgot about this it's kind of flew under the radar they did just lose to kansas in football um and they're looking at potentially completely turning over their roster again. Miami is a job that shares some similarities to USC, uh, just like their athletic director may very well uh, have a football hire to, to make there uh, uh, as well. We've seen a couple other programs that you would look on paper and think they should be good. <clears throat> UCLA should be good. Almost never is. So do, yeah, intuitively, could do I think James Franklin could be successful there? Yeah, probably. But There's a reason lots of other people haven't been, you know?
1: Yeah, I think the thing with with USC that is different now versus, uh, you know, certainly the last couple of years is is they've they've gotten all all that uh, renovation kind of getting getting ready for this next guy. You know, I think they've uh, certainly there's a new president in town who is uh, very competent, understands how to how to run the university. And and I think taking care of things and will let the the football program kind of be off to itself. You know, there will be some oversight, uh, but, uh, you know, there's not going to be the meddling and, and the influence that there was under the last couple of presidents, I don't think. Um, obviously, you have an athletic director who's been an athletic director before. That that is huge because you know that has not been the case at, at USC for for much of the past two decades. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, whether it's Mike Garrett, whether it's uh, you know Pat Hayden, I mean, there's there was just you know kind of the 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 fallback of, of the school kind of going back to alums who who might have had some success in areas, and uh, they did not have that administrative experience. And yeah, you uh, hired some fun. flunkies. Yeah, and with Mike Bone, I mean, they, they've redone the, the recruiting department. The, the operations, um, you know, there has, has been, you know, they've really tripled the amount of staff, I think, uh, in, in the last two years. Uh, if you just just that short of time frame in terms of the analyst, in terms of the recruiting operation, um, you obviously have the, the connections with Hollywood. You know, the, the school is playing that up. They are, they are making it a point uh, to recruits through NIL. Um, that, that is a big thing now. Um, you know, I think the, the alignment right now at USC uh, ha- has never been better, even going back to the Pete Carroll days. You know, when I was uh, covering that those those teams uh, under Pete, I mean, there there was still uh, the facilities were not there. Um, you know, they, they won with some of the worst facilities. Uh, you know, even in the Pac-12, uh, going back uh, when Pete Carroll was 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 running uh, USC there. So uh, this is a, a much different job than I think it has been in the past. Certainly, there there are issues. You know, endemic to every institution, but um, this is this is a line for a, the next hire if if they can hit the ground running uh, in terms of recruiting to to really make it. A a quick and, and easy ascent back into the national elite. Um, now the question is, they, they got to nail the hire. You know they, they can't settle. They they can't, they can't fall back on on second tier candidates. But if they find the right guy, um, you know, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that USC can go go be back to being USC that of uh, old.
0: I want to very quickly talk about the exact opposite of USC before we wrap this up. I want to talk about Florida International which is not an airport, which is what it sounds like, but an actual university, which Davis uh, will not be returning. And uh, interestingly decided to try and torch the place on the way out, claiming that the central administration has sabotaged the program, that the school did not have enough money for shoulder pads. And so they had to uh, buy, you know, get donated used ones from Mississippi state that the staff has not been able to recruit on the road in part because of, of, of finances, um, their athletic director has retired. And I will just say that pre- previous school leadership, this is the administration that hired Isaiah Thomas as a basketball coach, um, fired Mario Cristobal, who turned out to be a pretty good football coach elsewhere, um, and was at one point was seen as a peer to FAU and has so fall so dramatically fallen off in that comparison. That they were on the very fringes of FBS until Conference USA kind of re- recoalesced. their rival. FAU is now in the um, American Athletic Conference, and, and may also be in in the uh, shopping at a more expensive aisle in the head coaching market. This is a job that's in Miami, and Miami's got lots of college fo- good good high school football players. But woo, this is a hard gig. You're in a terrible league that has no geographic uh, identity. You have a league that ha- a team that has no dynamic or history or re- record of being at FBS. You're at one of the most unique institutions in, in FBS. Cause it really is an international student body. Uh, you are in Miami. You are not in some, some leafy suburb. What kind, what kind of person could win there? What does success even look like at a place like that? Like I, I, it, it, I feel like this this is an institution that has much more. It's basically like Cuban UMass to me, rather rather than Sleeping Giant or anything. You know, it's UMass with pickles.
1: I'm I'm not, I'm not going to go there, but uh, you, you you do have me craving for a, a certain a sandwich <laughs> at this. Point.
0: I I I am pretty hungry.
1: Uh, you know what uh, I guess maybe because I didn't have lunch but you know it's it, the Same. facilities have gotten better at FIU uh, certainly in the last couple of years. I mean it, it used to be uh, you know you go back to Mario Cristobal's days there and and they were you know mowing, you know like the, the grass was extra long and and you know they were li- you know kind of working out of a shack and and the facilities were, were really bad and uh, they have improved on that front. Um, you know, it's not, uh, I, I wouldn't even say it's, it's close to the, the UABs and conference USA. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a ways from, from getting even to that point. But, uh, I, I think there, there will be a lot of coaches that view this as, as a, a big time stepping stone because you do have that local talent base, uh, not just in terms of the, the, the locals, but, uh, in, in the transfer market as well, that, that want to come home. I think FYU can be a decent destination for guys, um, you know, whether, whether at the power five or they're at schools in the AAC that they, they go away, they don't have the success they want, they can come back to to a program like FIU and I, I think for a young up and comer that, that really can uh, want to establish this program, you know, I, I think they, they can have some success here. Um, you know, w- how much is it's always going to be limited just in terms of the the school and, and how much they really want to invest in football. But, um, you know, I, I think they're they're focused on on making a, an interesting hire. And I think who they ultimately end up getting as, as the AD is, is going to drive a lot of that. You know, it wouldn't be surprised um, if if, you, if they make an AD hire and, and that AD already has somebody in mind and, and you kind of move pretty quickly. But uh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see because I, I would imagine there's an, uh, some like, you know, a, a Butch Davis type, you know, I know Randy Shannon's name is probably going to get thrown out there. A, a guy who was, was coaching down in Coral Gables not too long ago. He, he's been at uh, you know UCF. He's been at UF. He's been, I think he's at FSU right now. So, um, you know, he, he's a guy that has a lot of local ties to that community. W- would make sense if they went in with a veteran option, but I, I just think that this is, this is a, 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 program just kind of dying, uh, you know, for a young guy that can bring a breath of energy uh, after the last couple of years and can really kind of look at make this, um, you know, what SMU was uh, the last couple of years under Sonny Dykes as that uh, that home for guys coming back that, that can really energize things and really connect with the local high schools as well, because I think that's, that's such an important part with recruiting in South Florida is making sure you have those connections. It, it, it's a unique opening. It, it's certainly not uh, not going to knock anybody's socks over, uh, but uh, I think it, it could be for the right fit, um, turn into a, a big time stepping stone for for a young up-and-comer.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe App State's offensive coordinator. Uh, somebody that has a lot of experience uh, coaching high school in Miami's from Miami, who's wide receivers coach at FIU, there for a little bit. Um, or look if you want to go listen, if you want to go bring in an experienced coach who knows how to handle a rebuilding situation, has uh, media exposure, national credibility. Look, I'm hearing Houston Nut, and I'm hearing Houston <laughs> Nut. I'm hearing Houston Nut is interested in that job. There's a job opening. I'm hearing he's interested. Look, I I, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I think I think you are right though that uh you got to get the AD first. You got the, the person who's you got you got to hire the guy that's actually going to buy the groceries before you start cooking the dinner or girl who's who's going to be the one cooking the dinner. So th- that 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 getting some administrative stability there will be critical. Um, I mean, the
1: dynamics, the same across town at, in, in Miami. I mean, yeah. right? you know, you look at uh, you know, they, I think that's a school that is looking to make a big splash in terms of their hire, bring something, somebody in at, at AD to make an ultimate decision on, on man ideas, even though I think it has already been decided, you know, kind of above the AD's head, but um, you know, this is going to be a, another case where the, the coach and, and the AD are kind of tied at the hip. Um, and, and I think that's the same at FIU as it is at Miami, and and there are just so many unique challenges to to each job that, um, and and you throw in the the possibility that upstate Gainesville, um, Florida might come open as well. We we didn't really touch on that another top nope. ten job, the the resulting dominoes that could come with uh, Dan Mullen's ultimate exit. So uh, just just a fascinating coaching carousel um, from from start to finish, really. Yeah. Do you remember right now who
0: has the most Division One? wins, uh, among uh, Florida institutions. Uh,
1: is it, uh I'm going to go with Gus Malzon maybe.
0: Uh, I believe it is Florida A M. and That's right. Uh, we could, I'm sure we could, we could drop another hour here on this, but I think we're already running a little bit long. Uh, undoubtedly we will continue to analyze and talk about what's happening here. Not just with the coaching searches, but with the AD searches. And of course low and mid major realignment because here at extra points and uh, going for two, we are, degenerates um you can find me at matt brown ep on twitter shoot me an email matt matt at extrapointsmb.com, which is where extra points is it's a pretty good newsletter if you're not listening if you're not reading and i think you'd like it you can find that extra points brian where can people find you
1: uh, at Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R, going to be writing much more about the coaching carousel uh, as, as the week goes on and uh, excited to do so because it is a, a crazy time. was was already talked with a couple coaches earlier today. And, uh, I mean, the, the news is flying fast and furious before we even get into the FCS realignment rumors that are popping up as Woo. a result of these big moves.
0: That's right. Um, we'll, we'll get into it more. I, I better get out of this recording studio here and figure out Uh, how i'm going to get to my uh my hotel and, and figure out how to do some editing here for this evening thanks for listening everybody this was fun we'll be back in touch with you next week have a great uh safe thanksgiving we'll be back in touch with you soon